If there's a place that this would have happened, I am not surprised that it would happen to this property. But she tells me, I have to tell you something, Stephanie. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, what is it? And she said, well, one of the kids, he like walked face first into the back sliding door and it completely shattered. Um, as far as how to deal with this from a distance, it's funny because I used to have a rental that was close to me, 30 minutes, and I actually find that being far away is sometimes easier because it really forces you to, you can't make a big deal out of everything when you're 2,000 miles away, so. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, everybody. Today we are here with Stephanie Figueros. We are super excited to get into her story because it's really impressive. She's really been only at this game for one year. She used to be a registered nurse, but she's already made it on multiple multiple levels of success. She's doing short-term rentals. She's doing co-hosting. She's doing events. She's got a group. But Stephanie, before we get into all that fun stuff, we'd love to kick it off with a story. So could you tell us your craziest real estate transaction thus far or experience? Ooh, there's a, there's quite a few, especially when you're um, when you're working with guests. Um, probably the craziest one actually happened not not too long ago. Um, I have a nine bedroom that um, I have and then I manage in Orlando, Florida, and I'm out of state um, in California. And I run everything from a distance. Uh, I had a guest let me know that one of the so this place is a nine bedroom, sleeps 24 people. So if there's a place that this would have happened, I am not surprised that would happen to this property. Um, but she tells me, I have to tell you something, Stephanie. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, what is it? And she said, well, one of our, one of the kids, he like walked face first into the back sliding door and it completely shattered. And I'm like, he walked into a glass door that's double paned and it's all broken and she says yes and i'm thinking okay what else is broken <laughs> well first right. i was like is he okay and the first thing i think to myself like is there a chair is there a table that just got thrown into it but alas he uh he walked into it so um and when she took a photo it wasn't like part of the door it was like the whole glass door so um I don't know. It, it was kind of a crazy ordeal too, because it happened um, right before back-to-back -back bookings, meaning that we had a guest that is checking in the same day and they have no idea, you know, that the back door is going to be completely aired out. <laughs> so coming up with a way to clean it, get it, make sure that they're good, clean it up, and then figure out how we're going to replace a custom back door in the quickest way possible. And then to make sure that, you know, nothing else in the house was broken as well and turned out um, our stove was actually also broken um, from the same guest and had to be replaced. But uh, fortunately, we were able to get everything fixed and covered. Um, the following guests, we were able to um, explain to them and make sure it's as good as it could get considering we could only put a cardboard to cover the back area um, in the meantime. But it's probably the most um, intense situation that we've had to handle. Um, couple of other ones, but that one stands out the most to me. Totally. <laughs> it's the first time I've ever heard of someone walking through a glass door. So dive into this with us. So like I, a lot of the questions I get when people talk about, you know, Airbnbs, short-term rentals 
is like, how do things work, you know, when things go wrong? You check a couple boxes for us. One, you've, you've handled some of these situations, but two, you do it from out of state. So if you wouldn't mind talking about how do you, how do you handle these situations, not only from a monetary perspective, getting these things covered, but then how do you handle the problems themselves? Good questions. Um, so as far as the coverage, um, Airbnb um, covered it through AirCover. So um, that was good for starters. Um, and all we really needed, it, it was it was kind of an easy case just because we had so many photos and we kept the communications on the platform itself, which is huge. Um, and that's mostly for situations like this where we need a good documentation of the interaction. So if it came down to it, um, you know, it, it says it very clear, like in an email, but it's via the platform text message system through Airbnb of what happened. Um, and we were able to get the reimbursements uh, fairly quickly. I'd say within at least two weeks of us um, filing the claim, um, considering that there were other parts too that we had to claim as well. So it just wasn't the back, the glass door. Um, as far as how to deal with this from a distance, it's funny because I used to have a rental that was close to me 30 minutes and I actually find that being far away is sometimes easier because it really forces you to, um, you can't make a big deal out of everything when you're 2000 miles away. So, so what do you do? Um, I have really, really good cleaners. Um, that those, they are my eyes and ears, my lifeblood. We have handyman. We have a list of anything and anybody that we could possibly need, um, to call if things happen. Um, I think the big thing though is to make sure that you hire the right vendors that are extremely familiar with the industry. Um, the cool thing about the market that I'm, or the markets that I choose to go to is I don't go to markets where there is not an already existing infrastructure that will support short-term rentals or Airbnbs. Um, and that part of that too is because of regulations, which is a big, a big fear amongst many right now. Um, but in this one, it was pretty, um, clear. It's like, okay, well, let's get it replaced as quickly as possible. So first things first. Um, pictures, measurements, and then let's just start calling everybody that replaces doors. <laughs> but the, what the cool thing was though about my cleaner here, um, she was able to find a better deal for me um, that I would have haven't. If, if I found it um, online, she was able to find a local person. And because she's local um, and she knows people because this isn't her first rodeo with dealing with replacements, she knew who to ask. So a lot of it is you don't have to know every single resource, but you need one solid resource that knows the market. And that's the strategy that I typically use in all my markets is um, I become as expert as I possibly can from a distance. And then I make sure to find the team members that are true experts in their local market too. Um, this is absolutely fantastic. I think we'll dive into this now. We still need to get into your introduction story, how you got started and where you were going. <laughs> But I think we need to keep this where we are now because you just said something so incredibly important. You're finding the who, not the how in the market. Um, and also, and you mentioned you have this network of vendors everywhere that you're buying, even though you're doing it virtually. I would love to know how you identify who that who is and how do you build this network of vendors? I'm sure it's related, but would love to address that. Sure. Um, so part of it is... Um... So I have my community, Yes to Nation, where it's short-term rental investors, whether they are looking to be in, into short-term rentals or they already have it. And that's probably the first place I would start um, whenever I look for vendors. I look for neighbors, actually, before I look for vendors, because the best way to pick somebody is through referrals, right? 
Um, so I have a, ha I have a habit of finding all my neighbors literally that live next to me in every state. And I think some of it was not intentional and some of it I just found through Facebook groups. So, um, that's kind of the biggest, um, thing I use are Facebook groups, both my own and then others. Um, I join local groups all the time. And the one that is already existing here, it's a, it's like a neighborhood watch group. <laughs> so I just looked there first to find, to first to see if this was like an even a good community to be in, um, before kind of deep dive, like going and purchasing there. Um, but finding it through Facebook groups has been one of my, I guess my secret sauce, if you, if you so will. Um, and of course that's just the start. Then you actually need to message them. Then you have to get on the phone. Um, and eventually it leads to in-person. So that's kind of how I, I've done it for myself. Love all of that, especially the Facebook group strategy. I'm a huge fan of Facebook groups as well. Um, but before we dive too deep into all of this, I do want to bring in the origin story because it is very unique and, and your, your progression has been extremely rapid and impressive. So let's bring us back to the beginning. You were a registered nurse. Let's walk through how that job experience was. Let's walk through the emotions and let's walk through why you chose entrepreneurship. Sure. Um, so I left the hospital during the pandemic um, in 2020. I was working as a case manager, which um, nobody knows who, what that person does. So I wasn't bedside, I was behind the scenes. And I was the person that basically got you from point A to point B. And if there's something you needed, I got it for you, <laughs> no matter what it took. Um, so I left that to work from home and took a pay cut because I realized that there was more, that I wasn't going to stay as a nurse forever. Um, I wanted more, I wanted to create a life by my design. So I went into this like, oh, maybe I'll do e-commerce or what have you and tried starting with the side hustle gig. And then um, real estate, it was clear as day, like this is what I'm going to do. So left work to work from home as a nurse, different story on how that works. <laughs> um, I did the logical thing, which I got my realtor's license. Um, and I'm grateful I did because coming from a non-real estate financial business background, it got me used to the lingo. So when it actually came down to it, it wasn't like I was hearing these things like 1030 exchange, um, how transactions close for the first time as I was doing it. Um, once I started, I went to my first meetup. I got tucked out of short-term rentals. Um, California isn't the, the greatest fan of short-term rentals. So I was told by someone who just got theirs um, banned that don't do it. And so I'm like, oh no, it's not for me. Um, biggest mistake, but... I went, dove into wholesaling, um, mobile home flipping, started going to 55 and over communities, which I almost got kicked out of and came right back to short-term rentals. <laughs> so um, I had the opportunity to sell my family's house and they were like, we don't want this house anymore. We've had really bad uh, long-term rental tenants. We want to just get rid of it. And it was a really, really great house. And I'm like, how about... I become your tenant and I get to list it on Airbnb. And before I realized it, I was actually arbitraging or master yep. leasing. I was just about to say that. that, yes. Yes, and that was not my intention at all. I was actually looking to buy, um, but because I, an opportunity um, was created at that point, I'm like, let's just try it as a trial run um, and we'll see how it goes. And I pretty much told them, you know, whether or not I make money from this, you will get your rent no matter what. You know where I live. I had a, a full-time job as a nurse then. 
um, turned out to be actually one of my most stable rentals. Um, but started with that and not even a month in, um, I was like, all right, this is real. It works. How do we, how do we do this? Um, so I wanted really badly to go out of state just cause I knew that it would just be much easier, um, on the regulation front. So I found an investor that was doing it successfully and managing it. And I was like, ding, ding, ding example, I'm going to do it. So got my, I asked him, who's your broker and who's your realtor? We didn't have the same realtor, but um, I at least had the same lender as him. So we did that. And not even a month later, um, we were like, okay, this is insane. Let's, this is great. Let's do it again. So um, my boyfriend and I, who was also my business partner, we took 401k loans. We borrowed against ourselves and we got another property. But this time we went to Texas instead of Tennessee. So um, we got that. And at the same time, we were looking in Tennessee, but our, we couldn't do another property. So, um, but we had one and it was a new property and we're like, we have to have this. So how can we get it financed? Uh, family had um, a house they were selling in Vegas and they were like, well, I don't know what we're going to do with this, but we're going to get rid of this Vegas house. So I, I said, well, if we did, if we did all the work, we found the deal, we found the resources and we run it for you and you just do the debt piece. Can we do, can we do it together? And so they saw what we were doing and said, let's do it. So joint venture made it. And at this point, we had four rentals and this was at the beginning of 2021. And that was when I had one last deal I could max out of my DTI at the time. Uh, however, we ended up backing out because of inspection issues. So I could have had another one um, right then and there, but I decided to just uh, basically quit my job as a nurse and just dive into this full time, which was my goal, actually. I wanted to be able to create a life by my design, not clock in eight times a day, um, which is insane. And to be able to, to do what I do wherever I go. So, um, and that was just this, the beginning of this year. And from that point on, um, I, because I liked going to meet up so much where I lived, I found a neighbor of mine and just, we started doing our own meetups together through Esther Nation, grew that community. Um, and I acquired two more rentals through joint venture partnerships. Um, I acquired another, a flip close to where I live through another partnership. Um, got under contract on two hotels. Um, didn't close, but um, we were pretty close. Um, and those were both um, in different areas as well. And then launched a co-hosting business um, because a lot of people wanted me to run their rentals, but at the time I didn't have a bandwidth. So, and that's how this all the hosting came about. So yeah. <laughs> this all happened. Um, literally, like literally I just, when a quick synopsis, even though it wasn't as quick as I thought it was going to be, but true story, <laughs> right. those are every, that's Love everything it. that I've done up until now. Love it. Thank you for sharing. And so I want to dive deep into your portfolio. Before I do, there's just something that I got to get out of my mind, which is you got potentially kicked out of this 55 community. So yeah. like, tell me what you meant by that. Like, did you own something in there? Like, like what was that story? Well, because it was a 55 and over community and I'm not, I'm not 55. Um, right? They were very suspicious of why I was there. So I kind of had to tell them I was looking for a family member and I was helping them. <laughs> And they actually kicked out because I, I stopped at their office. 
they felt much better about showing me around. Um, but somebody else just kind of came through the community. Um, it was a internet provider with a vest and everything. They kicked him out in two seconds because he did not stop and introduce himself to the front office. So that could have been gotcha. us if we didn't have the, uh, for, or we weren't respectful of their community. So that gotcha. could have went really bad. <laughs> I hear you. All right, cool. So diving into your portfolio, if you're willing to share some specific and some numbers, I think that'd be awesome because I okay. want to be able to detail the journey for people that are in a similar position. There's so many people working the nine to five or in the nurses cases, right? The 12 to 12s or those 12 hour shifts. And and so if you can highlight, so you picked up, it was like, was it four properties at the point you decided you didn't have to work that, that role anymore? Kind of break down, like what do those, maybe those purchase price numbers look like? What does cash flow look like? How did you come to the decision of how much cash flow you needed to make that transition? Sure. Um, so the arbitrage one, the very first deal, I'll be super honest. That was an opportunity I just grabbed. I really didn't even care about the numbers. <laughs> I just wanted to get started in something. I was so hungry too. So, um, but I'll give you kind of a, I guess, a perspective on what, what our expenses were and what we were actually making on average. Um, so our, um, the number that we needed to exceed in order to make a profit was about 3200 a month. That includes rent, utilities, any subscriptions for the property specifically. Um, but on average, we were actually making at least 8000 a month on it, on the house. So um, that was just that one property. Um, as far as when we started purchasing our properties, um, the first deal that we had was $600,000, um, brand new build in the Smokies. And this one projected wise, we are on track to making um, close to close to 90,000 on it this year. Um, and then one of our Crystal Beach property in Texas, this is a beach property. And we got really lucky because um, it's very close to the beach, about 400 feet from like the shoreline. <laughs> uh, we got that under asking at 582,000 over in Texas. That one is currently close to 75,000 as of this year. And that started operating um, during like New Year's of last year. So we were actually really happy with that. And how we finance these ones too, I'll, as I'll mention, we did the 10% second home loan. So we didn't have to really put as much cash up front, um, which really did help our numbers. Um, and because we typically, when we do out of state, we try to go for more of the turnkey properties, um, just it makes everything easier our furnishing costs were under 10,000 each minimal. And we could get those things up and running within at least two weeks time for those, those three from the top of my head. Love this. And so those numbers, when you say 90,000 and 75,000, is that like the gross income that's coming in? So after that mm -hmm. you pay for property management and, and the other pieces of the business. I'm actually the property manager. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so exactly. I don't, I don't yeah, yeah. So I, that's, I guess, I guess that's the cool part too is so I run the operations for everything, um, from a distance. So, um, with that, I get to keep a little bit more. Um, yes, I do the work itself, but I've learned to, um, create a system to where it's automated. Now I have help, um, to be able to have more bandwidth to, to take on more properties if I want to on either a personal level or for somebody else. I love that. That creates, that creates some nice spread because the property management for short-term rentals can be very expensive depending on what part of the, the country you're in. Tell me a little bit more about how, how did you come up with a number? Like I'm always fascinated, like, and I know this is personal, so if you want to keep it personal, that's fine. 
but like, what was the conversation like in your mind when you said, okay, this is what I need to be able to leave my job? Um, my goal was to make at least 1500, um, per property. If I can make at least 1500, um, then that at four properties that would have at least matched my income, um, and my living expenses. And from that point, I could put every ounce of energy I have into this to scale even further. So that was my number. I, um, in the, because I'm in seasonal markets too, sometimes it's way more than that. And I actually think I exceeded that, especially, um, with the first property that I had just because of it being in a more metro market. So the seasonality was not as bad as my vacation rentals were. Absolutely tremendous. So I'm going to actually go back to the pre-call a little bit because you said a couple of things that I would like to get into. Um, number one, you said you love doing the co-hosting management. And, and I think that's rare. Um, I think there's more people that don't love it over the people that do. Um, so let's get into what you do love about it. Um, so one thing I was like worried about when I left nursing, cause I wasn't leaving a job, I was leaving a profession. And one of the big things was I, I received so much satisfaction when, um, patients would go home and they'd be happy. So for me, I actually get that same feeling and satisfaction from guests when I know that they've had an, an amazing stay. So I, I literally like have a funny saying where it's like, my guests are like patients to me. So I think that's one aspect because these people are there for a good time. And to be able to be a part of that, I, I have so much satisfaction for. Um, the other part's a little bit more on the nerdy side. Um, I like it. It's like uh, the coordination of everything to make it so harmonious. As a case manager, I had to do this with doctors, nurses, patients, insurance companies, and external vendors. It is no different with short-term rentals. I do this with cleaners, pay or seeing their, their patients, right? guest. Um, my Orlando property, I have about three to four, sometimes five vendors that have to come through each turn. It's stressful, but at the same time, I enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge of it too. Um, and then because it's a, it's a happy industry um, compared to what hospitals are typically known and are like, I find that like, I like it. And I think I need that type for me in my part of my wise, I have to feel like I'm making a difference. <laughs> and so that was the one thing I wanted to make sure I continued to feel. And I do get that bit from short-term rental operating and hosting. So I think that's kind of the overlap that I, why I enjoy doing it. And because I like challenges, um, that's, I'm one of those weirdos. It's just like, yeah, let's make things harder, <laughs> but let <laughs> right. me overcome it. Right. Because yeah. that, that I enjoy that. So. How awesome. So I'm just kind of curious being a nurse and then coming in the real estate space, like what were maybe some of the lessons, maybe top one, top three lessons you learned at being a nurse that's helped you in your journey here in real estate? Um, probably the people aspect, which I didn't realize that would be such a good skill set to have. Um, one thing I wanted to make sure I learned was how do you run your numbers? Like the more technical hard aspects, right? Um, but that stuff you can learn as you do it in the motions of a transaction. So I think the people aspect part, the personalities dealing with multiple personalities and having that sense of, well, you're, you're at a 10 right now, or at least at an eight. I'm so used to people coming in at like a two. <laughs> so um, I, I think for me, the the problem aspect is everything, every problem has a solution. Every question has an answer. 
let's find out how we solve that. And even if it's not like the best solution, most of the time people are satisfied because of the effort that you put behind it to make it happen. So I think translating that aspect into real estate, especially when it comes to vendors and um, to other investors too, is how you, how you, how you work with them. I work with them the same way I did as a nurse when it came to other people. <laughs> so having that helped me quite a bit because I have a pretty good relationship with all of my vendors, um, which I think that's like an, a big thing most people don't think about, but it's the same thing. If I have private investors on my flip too, that started from a, a relationship prior to an actual partnership. So having that um, kind of background has really helped me because I can see them as, I mean, they're, they're people first. And that's, I think a lot of um, investors that focus so much on just the numbers aspect kind of forget. So to have somebody on your team that is that way naturally is, is a huge advantage. Oh yeah, absolutely tremendous. Um, and absolutely 100% agreed with you. Um, I would love to get into creating opportunities. Right. So you just were at an event last week. You were talking on stage and your topic was about creating opportunities. So let's let's dive into that real quick. Sure. So um, on stage, I did share my story, what I just shared with you, um, creating opportunities. The big thing, I think, is identifying what your skills, what your skill set is, what your strengths are. And I actually did this for myself because what a limited belief that I have was, well, who am I to be able to go into real estate when I, I don't have the background for it? So um, my strength, I wrote down to myself, was the ability to learn. And that is pretty applicable to anybody in whatever skill set. And to be able to identify and know your own strengths and weaknesses, but definitely your strengths. And then to be able to find an opportunity to where you can implement those strengths with either somebody that doesn't have them. Um, whether that's time, whether they just don't like dealing with the minutia of things, or um, maybe even the financial aspect too. Some people don't have that in the gap, but maybe you do. So finding what those strengths are and then finding another person, whether it's through, I mean, so buying and selling is an easy one. People want to sell a property, you want to buy a property. That already is an opportunity that's created that transaction piece. Um, for me, what I found was creating it through um, partnerships, either with going into business to where um, my family didn't have the time, didn't want to even do it, the work um, because they were a little bit older. And I did because I was I was excited and I wanted to to continue to grow. And so to have them on that, like, come on my team, let's join forces. <laughs> what works for you might work better for me and vice versa. So. Um, and because I didn't have a W-2 anymore, my challenge at that point was, well, how do I continue to scale on the financing piece? Um, and then the arbitrage was a great example. I wasn't even supposed to do that. I was supposed to sell it for them. But instead, the I identified the real problem and figured out how do I become a solution to that, even though I wasn't really intending to. But the result was the same. I acquired my first property, got to run it as a short-term rental, they were happy because they were getting solid rent as, as they should. And it gave me enough confidence to be able to do this out of state at a distance once I started to learn the operations and start to treat it like it, it was far, far away from me.
That is so, so awesome. So take us in, take us a little bit deeper. So you're, you're going through this journey, you're connecting, you're partnering with family members and other people. You're learning these lessons from, you know, and, and tying to your identity too, like from a standpoint of connecting, like I'm a person that can learn. What do you see like the next step of the journey looking like? I mean, like you, you're going in three prongs. Do you see them all <laughs> continuing? Like this is a t discussion that Tim and I have all the time. Like, you know, we feel like we could do all these different things and yet, you know, should we do one thing? So what, what's your thoughts on that? Great question. And I think we're like all on that same journey where we want to kind of double down or hone in, right? So um, I've made the decision moving forward to really focus on a limited number of things. So one, I want to continue to grow um, the Esther Nation community, especially after this conference. I see the impact that it's making for other people. And I wish I, I had that because I didn't have that when I first started. Um, so focusing on how do we continue to grow that, give value, um, continue to be able to bring people together um, with the interest of short-term rentals. And the other part, too, is um, like the co-hosting business and focusing and growing that and continuing to really maximize our rentals. The cool thing is that because my properties are being managed within the co-hosting business, too, whatever I do for myself, I do for everybody else. So my big focus right now is to learn how to... Um, I stay on top of what are the trends right now in markets. Um, Airbnb has their algorithm changes. How do we continue to stand out and how do we continue to maximize our revenue and things like that? So doubling down on becoming the best host slash operator um, to where it's for, I can do this for my own rentals and also be able to do this for others is the second tier. Um, and I think actually those two are the biggest things, <laughs> um, growing the community and growing that. Um, and I'm tying my personal rentals into the co-hosting business just because essentially I model um, the operations under what I typically already do for my own. So those are the two that I'm actually starting to double down on the most um, moving forward. Love this. So I want to talk, I have a couple questions. So I'll ask them one at a time. So question number one is, you kind of mentioned it earlier, there's a little bit of a, a concern, I guess you could say, about what is going to happen in the STR world across the country. As more and more areas and counties are putting restrictions on, what is your take on that, you know, over the next, say, two to three years? I definitely would say short-term rentals aren't going away. And there's two reasons why. One, um, why would somebody pick a short-term rental or an Airbnb versus a hotel? A lot of, um, and I'm a millennial too. A lot of us, a lot of us, so I'll say us, we like experiences and Airbnbs provide that where hotels, um, may not. Um, it's pretty much an expected clean space, but, um, people go to Airbnbs because they want the experience. So I, I try to pick markets or properties to have that extra layer, right? Um, the other piece too is, um, I'll use the, Orlando property, for example, we can fit 24 people here. You cannot do that without probably spending an arm and a leg at a hotel. So standing out in ways where the visitation is there. And I think that's also why I typically choose vacation markets. Um, I'm still going for the metro markets as well, close to where I live. But I think my strategy will be a little bit different there where um, I'm going to start going towards the midterm space instead, and that will actually help mitigate um, those regulations. Um, so I think it's really market specific. 
Um, and I'm happy because the markets that I am in, in Tennessee, Texas, and Florida, um, they've already figured out their STR regulations well before it became popular on Airbnb. And I think that's huge um, because what comes with that too is the support that that comes with it, my vendors and cleaners and handymen and so forth that know how to deal with um, this space. It's it's not like it's a, it's a new thing. So I, I think really being selective on your markets um, before you buy and having a plan, especially in those city markets, of what are you going to do if you get banned, for example. And so, like I said, with the metro market, closer to where I live in California, our plan is to go towards the midterm rental route and to accommodate more of the traveling nurses, um, corporate professionals, things like that. So um, I, that's, that's where I see it going. I don't see it going anywhere. I just think being aware of where you're buying um, and having some sort of strategy if things go south um, is probably the best thing that you can do. But I don't think they're going away. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, like, I love the fact that you have a multi-tiered approach so that you can transition. So I do some rent by the room. I know a lot of people in the midterm space. If you, There's probably like 10 strategies that can double or triple the rents compared to normal long-term rents. And so like just having those tools in the tool belt, like make it super easy that if one of your strategies doesn't work, there's usually quite a few others that you could still make that property cash flow pretty good. Super awesome. So do you guys, I mean, you have properties all over Texas. It sounds like Florida, was it Tennessee? Did I have that right? In near the Smokies? Yes. When you manage, do you manage for people all across the country? Yep. Um, the, yes, I do. The way I model, um, it's funny because the same thing I do for, or I did for my Tennessee property as far as building my team is the same thing I did in Texas, except you're now you're the, I guess you could call it the avatar is a little bit different. Um, I think the big thing though is knowing how to, knowing to not take what you know, uh, like for me in California, I don't assume how I do things is how somebody else will, but the system building is the same in each market. So for me, I can take on any market at this point after um, doing it a couple of times. Love this. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people listening that want to do out-of-state Airbnbs, if they knew they had a great management company, it might encourage them to, to take some action. Can you give us like the top three mistakes that you see people making in short-term rentals? Sure. Um, I think one thing, it, a mistake that I sometimes see is they will go ahead and just buy a house, but they don't do the research on if there are cleaners, handymen, the infrastructure to support the operations. So, and then they already bought the house and now they're worried because they can't find a cleaner. So definitely find your team first as part of your due diligence process and not just the house itself. I think that's like the first one I, I see sometimes happen. Um, the second part is always knowing that, not assuming that because you have a checklist that your vendor cleaner is going to do that. Um, I don't do that approach at all. I've actually done it once um, for my first rental um, and then realized that that was a, a mistake. So whenever I go to a market, I never, I ask everybody, how do you do your process? And then I just, then I decide for myself if that fits me and it works for me. 
So not making those assumptions um, in the very beginning and expecting it to be different is probably the next, the second one. Um, the third mistake that I typically see with short-term rentals um, is not having a reserve, especially if you're in a seasonal market. Um, it, it's part of the seasonality for like a beach market to not be so popular in winter. So don't be surprised and be prepared for that. You know, when summer is really good, great, but make sure you have that reserve to carry you through winter so that it you're not so stressed out and, you know, you can keep the property and stay on top of it. Um, that was a tremendous answer. Thank you so much for, for walking us through the mistakes that somebody could be making. I would love to look at the opposite now. Like, what are three tips that you would have that anybody getting into the co-hosting space um, would find beneficial? Um, I would definitely make sure that you do network, get yourself out there. Um, one thing I find is that um, people want to work with you for you and not so much what you do. So um, really getting to know people as people is a good start for one with the co-hosting space. Um, the other one is education. I find um, I hear a lot when operators aren't they aren't staying on top of like the new trends or the new algorithms is to always stay educated and to basically be the expert, be in the know. So being the expert um, in operating as well as in the markets that you serve are huge because people are looking for you for your expertise. Um, the other aspect is really having a good bandwidth or foundation to operate. So I'm very fortunate that I have um, really, really good business partners um, as well as a team behind or behind them to make sure that things are flowing smoothly. So um, I'm not a one woman show. Uh, <laughs> and so having that support in that team, uh, that you definitely need that to be successful or else I think you're just gonna run yourself ragged. <laughs> totally, but sometimes that can be easier said than done. You know, I mean, there, there are some people that seem to gravitate, have a, a more of a natural aptitude for the hiring building of teams. Can you describe maybe your process and journey in that? Was it just something that just came so naturally or what sort of like process, mistakes, journey do you have to go on to be able to assemble a team? Good question. So I do think part of it was a little bit natural and just because I'm gonna use nursing as um, kind of my analogy because that's, I everything gets translated to nursing to real estate. So that's how my mind operates. But um, as a nurse, you have your, your nursing assistant, right? Um, so learning how to delegate kind of came easy, but also knowing, well, what are your strengths? Because I can always pick up something that you're not good at. So for me, when I started building my team, I started with what is it that I, I like to do, don't like to do, and I'm not good at and don't want to do. <laughs> it's a couple of different things. Um, I was fortunate enough to where I started a lot with my business partners or with my teammates as friends. And that relationship helps tremendously because we can truly be honest and not worry about stepping each other's toes because we respect the underlying relationship that this is this business is being founded on. So finding what they are good at and what they want to do. So it complimented me. And so I think finding that and having everybody have their own lane and respecting that lane is huge, I think, with team building, because nobody, truthfully, nobody wants to be told what to do. <laughs> People want to feel like they made that decision themselves. So allowing for the autonomy to happen and for them to do the, their best work the way they know how, um, I find is a, is, is a must for any team building. Um, especially for me, I have um, assistants 
I find out what is it that they, what they, what do they like? What don't they like? If they don't like being on the phone, I'm not going to ask you to be on the phone um, type of thing. So that's for me how I've done most of my team building is really first understanding them and their strengths and weaknesses as humans and then figuring out where, where is that gap in our organization and putting them yeah. there instead. Wow. Yeah, this is this is really cool. I mean, a lot of people that go into this space are coming from a place where they've had a lot of, you know, like they started earlier in real estate, had all this training. You're coming from a completely different background. So this is super impressive that you're able to pick this up so quickly. What do you see as, I mean, obviously we talked about the SDR Nation and some of the events. Like, what are some of the things that you think in the future, like, like you're looking forward to, like from a personal perspective? Oh, personally, I, I actually, being in the vacation space, right? I love vacations. So this, this makes it much easier for me, but I really want to go on a cruise <laughs> um, personally for my birthday this year. If, uh, I don't know if that was the question, but that's like what I'm looking forward to is having um, that just week of, of going and eating food and watching shows. So <laughs> that's what I'm personally looking forward to is having that break. <laughs> Love it. Well, and it goes so well. Like I think one of the things that I, I'm observing that you do so well is you build the business around what you love. And I think that is such a, an important thing for people to think about because I know myself included and a lot of people I, I hear talk to is like, what's the best way I can make money? But you're coming at it from the standpoint of, hey, I'm building this business to build the life I want because you're already making good money as a nurse. So you're building it the way. And so your lifestyle business is correlating right into the thing you love to do, which is travel. I just think that's that's tremendous. I think more people should consider lifestyle design when they're building building their business. So absolutely, that's my goal. So yeah. <laughs> trying to live out that goal. Amazing, amazing. So one of the things that we like to to dive into is is all about purpose. And so the thing that real estate does for many of us is it gives us the ability to do what we want in life, and so then we get to choose our life to live it in ways that some people don't have the option of living. So if you had a billion dollars in the bank and a lifetime of cash flow, like how would you spend your time? What would your freedom look like? Wow. So um, I, it's like winning the lottery, right? That's basically the same question <laughs> and assuming that you have all the time. Uh, for me, um, I, ha I know I have the innate need to feel that I am making an impact. So I would have, I would probably day block um, my life in terms of, okay, this like Monday is going to be purpose day or let's, or I should say productive day. I like feeling productive and by being productive, I'm doing something for the greater good. So I probably at least keep some time just for that piece. Um, otherwise, um, I probably go back into violin lessons. <laughs> I learned violin as an adult. It was like on the bucket list of mine. I play piano, but I really wanted to learn violin, but I had to stop it. So I'd probably, I do that. I, I love learning. So um, going to a, a country to learn a new language that I'd want to learn, still have to figure out where that would be, would be another part I do with my time. Um, I'd like to have a family and to be able to grow that. So I'd probably have that <laughs> going for me. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel if found that you, I don't really, you, people don't really need as much. They just want the ability to be able to have and do the things that they really want to do. Because when it comes down to it, um, I don't see people really wanting to do a shopping spree every single day of their life. You know, they want to actually do something more memorable and meaningful, but to be able to sprinkle that is kind of on like icing on the cake. So 
Um, that's kind of what I, maybe that sounds kind of boring, but, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I just, I want to be able to have those choices at hand and then be able to bring other people up to be able to do the same. I think that's, that's kind of the ultimate goal. That's how I want my legacy to be left as. Yeah. I love it. Asking this question to entrepreneurs because you led with impact, right? So you didn't say, I'm just going to sit on the beach. I'm going to sip margaritas and do whatever. You were like, I want to impact other people's lives. And not only that, and then you, you went into passion projects, like things that you wanted to do. You wanted to learn more. So you wanted to grow. So like, even if you had everything, you would still have a growth mindset. So let me ask you this. What does the next 12 months look like? What is your vision for the next 12 months? Oh, um, it's funny you say this. I feel like this question was asked too early because I have some meetings next week on figuring that out with my team <laughs> on, on what the next 12 months are going to look like. Um, for me, I think, um, especially because of the, how well the conference um, went, we're looking on growing um, the community and to be able to impact more people through either meetups, whether it's virtual or in person. Um, so really trying to double down on how do we continue to pro provide that value and touch more lives just because it's impacted um, me and my business partner so much, um, as well as also focusing on um, the co-hosting business. There's a complementary part to that, too, um, just because what I do for my lifeblood, which are my rentals, is what helps impact the co-hosting business as well. So um that's as far as I've personally gotten. I personally am going to be going on a cruise at some point. So I'm going to make sure I fit that, um, that me time in there. Uh, but that's what the next 12 months really look like is really just focusing on those two things and doubling down on it. Um, I know I mentioned, um, other projects as well, um, which I'm so glad I did because I think what it ended up doing at the end of the day was making me realize, um, to double down on the things that are really, really working for me. Um, and being able to kind of go back to that at a later time. That's, that's kind of what I've learned. Absolutely. I'm extremely excited to see where you go, how far you go, because what you've been able to do in such a short time frame is extremely impressive. Um, so Stephanie Figueros, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is acquired one action at a time. Identifying your best skill set, double down on it, take massive action, tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one.